So Dale, uh, tell me, uh, what is like the craziest, most outrageous, uh, it could be food. It could be a setting that you ate. Uh, tell us <laughs> about that. What did that look like for you? Well, I was in Guilin, China and spent a week with some students. And at the end of the week, they wanted to take me out to their favorite restaurant. And so we went and I couldn't read anything on the menu. And so I said, look, I don't know, order whatever you want. And so they said, well, how about, and this is what I thought they said, um, bamboo with rice. I thought they wanted bamboo with rice. And I'm like, okay, rice with bamboo in it. Sounds fine. <laughs> but out came this big platter. It was a big piece of meat. It was all chopped up into little, little pieces. And there were a lot of little bones and a long tail on one side of it. And I had a kind of a brown gravy. I thought, what is that? And they said, it's bamboo rice. That's what I kept hearing. I said, that's not rice. They said, yes, it's rice, like a mouse. Oh, bamboo rats. We're having bamboo rat for dinner. How exciting is that? So it yeah. actually did not taste that bad. And it does not taste like chicken, if you've ever had rat. <laughs> well, I have not had rat, but I'm writing down famous last words, order whatever you want. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, note to self on my next trip, do not say <laughs> order whatever you want for me. Oh, good. All right. You're listening to the Making Mission Trips Better podcast from Standards of Excellence and Short-Term Mission. I'm your host, Tori Ruark. We all know that guy, you know, the one with the right heart, but does everything wrong. In this podcast, we're going to discover together how to combine the right heart with the right way for God's glory. Well, we are here with Dale Lusk. Uh, so Dale, uh, tell us, uh, first of all, just tell us um, where you serve in ministry right now and the ministry that you serve with. Yeah, it's uh, called Merge. It's uh, part of the Evangelical Covenant Church. I'm the International Director of Global Engagements for the denomination. Part of that is Merge. Merge is the short-term mission arm of the Evangelical Covenant Church. So I oversee the leadership team that runs Merge. Yeah, awesome. So tell me a little bit about um, this leadership team, I because I, I do think it's somewhat unique. So who is on that leadership team? What's your philosophy and and how did you end up there? Yeah, we personally feel that these types of ministries should actually belong to what we term global church. And so we are training non-North Americans, so people outside the United States and Canada, to actually run all of the trips. They would be in charge of all the trips and they would invite teams from the United States and Canada to participate in trips around the world, but they would be the ones organizing them, running them, overseeing them all the time. And so we're kind of in a transitional time from me getting out of the way and letting them do what they're going to do. Okay. And so give us um, uh, a feeling like, is it working good? Uh, are, are you happy with it? Is this something that you would recommend for others? Yeah, I mean, it's going to take some time and it's really hard. You know, we as North Americans, we love control 
and we like doing things the way we've always done them. So when you hand things over to people from other cultures, other countries, you have to like set that aside, humble yourself and allow them to do things the way they see would be appropriate. I really think in the long term, this is way better because they know what their own culture is, what works best in their own culture, and it works best if they're in charge. And so I think in the long run, this is going to be the healthy and appropriate way to do these types of things. So give me an idea. Um, are you talking about like this is a six months transition, one year learning curve, or are we talking about... A, a real long transition. What does that look like? I told them I'm retiring in nine years. They have nine years. Figure it out. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Okay. So obviously you weren't born uh, the director of international engagement. <laughs> no. Uh, how did you end up in this position uh, where you are? Uh, you know, what experiences in ministry, what experiences, what, what brought you to the point where you are where you are? And also what brought you to the point to say, hey, uh, maybe it shouldn't be uh, a North American person in charge of facilitating uh, these trips. Well, that, that last question, that's a long journey. But the <laughs> other part of the journey was after I finished seminary, I moved down to what's called the Rio Grande Valley of Texas and started doing youth ministry with Spanish-speaking churches on the U.S. side of the border. And it was really by default, people were asking in Re Reynosa, Mexico, if any of you know about Reynosa, Mexico, there were pastors that said, hey, could you connect us with churches in the United States? Because we're in the same denomination, but we never see each other. So just for fun, I started taking people into Reynosa, made a lot of mistakes, but over <laughs> about four or five years, started learning about what's really healthy and appropriate in these types of trips. And to be honest, it's really been more in the last maybe 10 years, I've kind of realized this really needs to be turned over to the global church because we're going into their place, their territory, where they live and they know way more than we know about what's going on in their, their setting and their cultural setting. It makes so much sense to turn it over to them and give them the leadership allow the global church to teach us in North America how to do things on global scale. I just think that really is the way to go long-term, long-term. I mean, I'm sorry, I just, in some ways I'm thinking, why for so long have North Americans been teaching North Americans how to go to the global church? To do that? <laughs> Wouldn't it make sense for the global church to teach North Americans how to go to the global church? That, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So um, how give us like an idea. I know you said you kind of were in youth ministry and, and kind of accidentally got involved with missions down in yeah. the Reynosa area. But what uh, how did that grow into mission involvement? And, and you know, I don't think cross-cultural ministry is just what you do professionally. I think it's ingrained into who you are. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I grew up in a very upper class suburb in the Silicon Valley of California. So how I ended up here was God's doing. But when I got out of college, the only church I applied at 12 churches to be youth pastor, the only church that took me was an inner city church in San Francisco. So I was a youth pastor there for six years and just had to learn about 
cross-cultural ministry. Otherwise, I would have had no youth group whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So over time then, as I started taking teams into Mexico, you know, you're learning, you're learning people who are knowledgeable, teach you, you read books, you get challenged by things over time. And it's, it's just has been a long 27 year journey to learn how to do these things. Yeah, I bet. I bet. So tell us a little bit about uh, your family. Um, so I have a wife. She's actually from Mexico. Her name is Sara. And I have two kids. Uh, one's 11, one's nine. All right. Excellent. And um, uh, my wife was actually born in El Salvador and came to the U.S. when she was six. Uh, and so... Um, uh, someday we'll have to talk about the uniqueness uh, of having a wider culture. It always makes things very interesting. We have a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, and that's another reason it's good to go through an organization because it's easy to go and fall in love with yeah. someone from another country. There's a lot of things to know about doing that. Yeah. Exactly. That is the truth. <laughs> that is the truth. All the time. Those yeah, Latinas. it does. <laughs> That's right. Irresistible. <laughs> all right. So this is uh, we might have to cut that out of the podcast, but so <clears throat> this is um, you know we're we're chatting today because we just got done with uh, a webinar for SOE um, around this idea of the mission agency and. Uh, you know, uh, my, my background or experience on this is I, you know, I talk to field missionaries, I talk to churches, I talk to agencies, sometimes the field missionaries and the churches say, uh, we're just going to go straight together. Cause my agency, they want me to jump through these who, uh, you know, and so they end up cutting out the mission agency, the miss- mission agencies. I talk to them and they get frustrated because, <clears throat> you know, they want to be involved. They feel like there's good reason to be involved. And, uh, you know, I, I, I call this, uh, the system, like how, how do we navigate the system instead of cutting it out and circumventing it? How do we navigate the system? And so we, in that webinar, you know, it was a great one. We talked about, you know, why would an agency feel like they have something to offer and what could they offer? And, and we didn't get as much to this part, um, that that's why we're talking here is, and that's kind of a word to agencies about um, how can agencies make it less difficult um, to uh, to work through them, so that churches or missionaries or or national pastors don't have that feeling of gosh, it would just be easier if I could go straight with them. So uh, we kind of you sent me some thoughts. I think there's uh, like seven big reasons. So we'll we'll kind of work through these. The first one you said is. Um, Sometimes as agencies, uh, here's a word of advice you gave. Sometimes as agencies, we need to give team leaders a say. So uh, tell us what you mean by that. Um, Expand on that a little bit. It's easier for us just to have a set program, kind of a cookie cutter program where people sign up and they do exactly what we have already organized for them. And I know there's a lot of team leaders that prefer that. They don't want to be part of the process They just want to sign up for something and go. But I really do believe that there are other leaders that want to be a part of the process. When we cut them out of the process, then they'll be thinking, well, I want to be a part of the process. I'm just going to do it myself. I think if we can come up with ways to include them in how everything is organized, you know, one great thing about SOE is talking about mutual design. Mutual design not only includes 
the organization and the host, the receivers, it includes the goers, right? So if you can somehow include all three of you in the mutual design of a trip, I really personally think um, more churches would be interested in going with organizations because they will have more of a say in what goes on during their trips. Yeah. So you, you talk about uh, the process, have a voice in the process and the things that lead into it. Uh, mutual design is definitely part of that process that refers to kind of actually talking about what we're going to do on the trip. But uh, are there other aspects to the process um, and what would it look like to give those team leaders voices into it? Well, this kind of goes to one of the other ones, which is being creative, if we can segue a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I think when we talk about teams, you know, the question is, what are their gifted? What's their giftedness? What skills do they have? What interests do they have? You talk about the host receivers. What actually are their felt needs? What, what actually do they believe will um, be purposeful to move their ministries along? and not from the North American view, from their view. And if we talk to everybody, we get more creative. And when we get more creative and we talk to the leaders and help them become creative, we talk to the hosts and get them more creative, everybody has um, a part of what's gonna happen on the trip. If I'm a leader and I feel like an organization isn't giving me any part to play, why would I go with them? You know, that's not our culture. We want to be a part usually of the process. So if we are a part of, okay, well, these are all of our skills. These are our interests, the hosts. Oh, these are ours. You match them together. Try to fit it together. Not, not a square peg in a round hole, but actually try to find partners that can really work together and support each other. I really think that is something valuable that people would see in what we do. Yeah. So can you give us an example? I mean, I know kind of what you're talking about there. It's, it's really easy to, you know, because we talk about this all the time. Sometimes we don't know what we don't know. Yeah. So as agencies, the one thing we've ever done is this, or the two things we've yeah. ever done is that. And if we could just get more of it, that'd be a good thing. And of course there's some truth to that, but what does, uh, Tell us, has there ever been a time where afterwards you're like, oh, that worked so well, like yeah. <laughs> a really creative thing? Yeah, one of, there's my favorite story, one of my favorites. There was a group, and when I went and trained them, I always like to ask the teams, what are your hobbies? What are your skills? What are you excited about? I write them on a board, and then I kind of see where there's multiple people excited about multiple things. Well, this one group from Colorado loved photography. And then part of it was the pat, the husband of the youth pastor was a photographer, professional photographer. And there were kids in the group that loved photography. Um, but they never really asked me, can we go on a trip and do photography? But I talked to the church. I said, you know, this group is really loves photography. And the, the pastor and the leader said, we've got a great idea. We have a mission up in the hills, up in Guatemala called Coljulia. There's 40 families. We've been trying to kind of reach out, but it's been a, a block. But we've noticed most people in rural Guatemala have very few family photos. That just isn't done. What if your group comes up, sets up like 
um, we get a house and we make it into a um, photography studio. We invite all the families to come. Your group spends time with them. You do professional photography with the families. And then afterwards, we give out the photos with frames and have a big celebration. Would you be willing to do that? The group was totally thrilled with that idea. They brought this equipment and they brought all kinds of things to do while people were waiting. And it was the whole week was kind of photography week. And after the celebration, there was crying, there was tears because there were so many families that said, this is like the only family photo we have. As a result, that Guatemalan church within six months was able to plant a new church. They have a church facility they built on their own. And they now have, in fact, 60 families involved in the church because other families within the area got so excited about it. I really think we need to get maybe outside of the box. I'm sorry I'm going on a little bit. When I, when I started, it was, it was about children's, let's do a children's program and let's build a church or let's build a house, let's paint a wall. And I just found out pretty quickly, those are just a lot of times not the most effective things to do in a place. And they're often the least creative and they really don't make any difference in the local ministry. What does what does the group have to offer? What does the host, what would they really like to have the group par partner with them in? And how can we match those together? I think creativity is something that teams in the States, they don't have the experience, but we, all of us who do this all the time, we have all these creative possibilities in our mind. I think we just need to unleash that. Yeah, I agree. And not only do um, agencies or people like you who've been doing this, not only do you have ideas and creativity, you've got the experience of, of or you've got the contacts to find that, that right fit, but you also have the experience of how to draw that out of, um, out of that, you know, national church pastor or out of that leader. Because uh, there's, if there's one thing we all know about cross-cultural communication is it's hard. And sometimes it's hard to work through that. So yeah, I love it. I, yeah, I'm sorry. They aren't going to tell you really what they think unless you really, really, yeah. really know them. And there we go back to a church. Oh, we're going to go visit the church of a friend and we're going to do. Well, you don't really know them. It's the organization who spends year after year with them that really knows them and can get the true, true answers. Yeah. Yeah. So good. So this is like a word to uh, agencies to uh, be creative, you know, give leaders, give your, your, uh, your partner churches a voice on both sides, on the going and receiving side. And I think another word and it, and it, it you've kind of segued into it already is, um, you know, agencies, you've got to offer that kind of long-term presence, right? I mean, we know as much as a lot of the, the sending churches will desire long-term relationships, sometimes those don't play out. So what can you say to agencies about that long-term presence? Yeah, well, we all know that there's a lot of writing out there that says these types of trips are actually unhealthy, inappropriate, a bad use of God's money, etc. But when I've gone to people who write those things, <laughs> yeah. they would say, but really, the key is the NGO, the organization. If the organization is having an impact 
on the ministries that they're partnering with. Teams are going to come and go, and whether one team has any impact at all, eh. But it's the impact of the organization utilizing the teams and partnering with healthy ministries. That long-term connection, that's really where the ministry takes place. That's really where the kingdom of God is expanded. Mm -hmm. So I've always viewed, you know, we have a lot of teams. They do their best at connecting. They do their best at relating. But really, the key relationship is between the host receiver and the staff of Merge or our organization, because we will encourage them. We'll be with them all year long. We're there for them constantly. And that is really, I think that's the relationship we can offer that a church in the United States just doesn't really have that. They can't do that yeah. on a yeah. long-term basis. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think it's a good reminder to agencies that, that if you find yourself getting too focused on bringing in new sending partners and you're uh, letting that long-term presence with your current partners, um, if you're neglecting that a little, it's going to hurt your ability to be creative. It's going to hurt your ability to uh, give leaders uh, on the sending side a voice and being able to really honestly give them a reason <laughs> to use you, right? Because some of these things they could be doing yeah. on their own. Just like Sarah, if you listen to the webinar, Sarah, who is a pastor at a church in Minnesota, said, you know, without Mario Valdez, this person who works with our organization, without his long-term presence in the Mayan village in the Yucatan that is there, she, her, the trips that they have on a constant basis would not even be close to having the effectiveness or the relationship building that they have. And um, so she just said it's inc incredibly important to have that long-term organizational presence. Even if you go every year, twice a year, having that organizational presence makes a huge difference in anything that takes place. Yeah, good. So the agency presence should be one that helps communication between the two partners, not yeah. something in between. Good. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, um, <clears throat> so one of the things that, you know, we, we just kind of said, like, you know, as agencies, if you're not able to do something that the church could just do on their own, then it is, it's understandable why people would say, well, why are we doing that? Um, you kind of mentioned that one of the things um, that you think agencies should do is um, really kind of focus in on the challenging and teaching part uh, and maybe a little bit focused, less focus on the doing side of things. So uh, tell me a little bit about that, because I think, I think you're onto something there because I'm not sure churches necessarily, a lot of them have the expertise or, um, or experience to really challenge and teach their team members through the experience. So tell us what you mean by that. Yeah, I mean, here we are, all of us who work with these mission organizations, we have years, some of us, years and years of experience at working in, in cross-cultural ministry around the world. We've learned so many things. And the people in the church in North America just don't have that experience. That's just kind of obvious. And I think it would be great for us to start challenging the American churches, the Canadian churches to say, hey, you know what? You don't have all the answers. In fact, the global church probably has a lot of answers for you. If you would just humble yourself and listen, I think if more and more we can get the global church to speak 
to the teams and allow the teams to learn from the global church, I think the church in the United States and Canada might explode because there are amazing things going on around the world. God is doing incredible things around the world and how great it is for us because, you know, as Americans, we're like, what do they need? How can we help them? When we say things like that, help, you know, we're going to, and they have needs. We put ourselves in the Messiah position, right? We're in yeah. the your position we go and then we never listen. We never hear because we put ourselves on top and they're on the bottom. If we humble ourselves and say, we want to go, we want to learn from them, we're going to hear a lot of things that we don't want to hear. Okay. We're going to hear things from the global church that we're not going to like. But God may be speaking through them and challenge. They may be prophetic for us. Um, and so I think that's important. I, I This is hard for especially youth pastors, I think. I remember a youth pastor contacted me and he said okay we want to go to Mexico we don't want to spend too much money but we want to build relationships we want to learn from the global church he said all the right things and then at the end of our conversation he said so who's the speaker and, and what what band is coming and I was kind of caught off guard I'm like what do you mean speaker in a band he said well of course every mission trip has a speaker in a band right and I'm like well, camps have speakers and bands. <laughs> I guess we could do that. And then I had an idea. I said, what if we have all the, the Mexican pastors you'll be working with come and, and lead devotions and debriefings with your group and you can hear the Mexican's perspective on God, what he's doing in the world. And then instead of having some American band, let's have a youth group, a, a local youth group, lead your team in worship in Spanish, and you can worship the way people there. And then he said, no, I'm not really interested in that. And so that was the last time I heard from him. <laughs> yeah. We're missing out. We're missing out. I think we can challenge North America in such great ways because the global church is vibrant, vibrant. We can learn so much from them. Awesome. Yeah. And so there, there are some ideas of ways that we can make it a challenge teaching, inviting our hosts into lead devotions, uh, to lead worship times. Um, how else have you seen groups really do a good job of putting themselves in that learner position? Yeah, we have a great staff in Kenya. And when a group goes to Kenya, they allow the teams to participate in the ministries they're doing. But the Kenyans always organize workshops for the American groups on various issues like climate change and um, government instabilities and unfair systems. I mean, they go crazy with it. And it's really uncomfortable for the American team until the end of the trip. And then the American teams are like, that was the most enlightening, amazing words that we have ever heard. I really think if we allow the global church to even come up with their, you know, okay. You know, one way that we can really encourage the global church is to tell them what they have to say is totally worth our while, hmm. you know, to say you, what you have to say is totally important. And we as Americans are going to listen because for the last 200 years with colonialism, it's always been, okay, you guys around the world, you listen to us because we know what we're doing. 
instead to humble ourselves and say, we want to listen to you. That is something that a church in North America won't really think about most of the time. And that is challenging and wonderful. Yeah. You know, that's interesting. Uh, I'm, I'm sitting here processing and, and I'm, uh, Gosh, I don't know how this is going to come out, but you know, sometimes as uh, uh, Americans, at least, I don't know for sure about Canadians, Americans, man, we we tend to measure things in dollars. Um, we tend to uh, there's a dollar figure that makes something worth it. I remember the first time uh, after I was married, my wife was, uh, I think, lamenting the fact that my parents hadn't flown down for like a small weekend event. I never even thought about it. To me, the way I grew up, it was like, well, no, you would never buy airline tickets for two days. Like that's way too expensive. It's not worth it. <laughs> yeah. I, and I didn't take it as my parents don't love me at least $700 worth, you know, but that's how my wife took it. Being from, you know, El Salvador, from that type of uh, uh, background. So, you know, we tend to attach numbers to things, values, uh, but you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm thinking, you know, it's kind of funny. Um, I think, you know, we find ways to say it's okay to spend the money to go on the trip because of the things we can do, the things we can accomplish. And as you were sharing about, uh, the way to encourage the global church to speak is to listen. And what immediately went through my mind is, in fact, it's their voice is so valuable. We would spend money to go over there. And I'm sitting here getting in my head thinking, am I falling into that American standard of I'm going to attach uh, a price to it uh, or a, a, a monetary value. But at, at the same time, it's like, um, I think that is meaningful that uh, I think that is encouraging to say, Hey, it actually, your voice is so valuable. We're willing to come and travel, spend the money, spend the time to come and travel and listen. Um, I don't know. I don't know if you have a take on that. I think that's great. I mean, I've heard that so many times because our, our ministry tends to be highly relational. So when a group goes, they live in people's homes, they spend time with people, they get to know people. There's a lot of relating that goes on. And, and what I hear a lot is I can't believe those Americans spent that much money and that much effort and time come over here just to be with me and to listen what I have to say. That's like the most powerful, that's the most powerful ministry. You could build them a beautiful house, but it's nothing compared to the idea that someone came all that way to value me as a human being and as a child of God. That is yeah. way more valuable. And that there is no money, there's no monetary value in that. <laughs> yeah. That's priceless. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, just, I, I guess one more story, not to monopolize conversation here, but, I, you know, after the earthquake in Haiti, uh, our organization developed a, a partnership with uh, a network of uh, Haitian churches there that had lots of uh, people who were eager to come and visit and help, and they just didn't know how to do it. So we kind of did what you guys did. We, we were that, that cultural coach um, it was really a great partnership and uh, my um, counterpart on the Haitian side, uh, Pastor Franklin, I remember he, he would tell every group that he would quote scripture um, about, um, you know, Christian brotherhood is that when one part of the body suffers, we all suffer. And when one part uh, rejoices, we all rejoice. And he would just so uh, wholeheartedly 
communicate that and and thank the group just for being there. And, and he he didn't even worry about what we were getting done. Just yeah. to him, just the fact that we would come into that situation and and uh, just be broken with them, uh, mm-hmm. walk, live with them. I, I remember the the first you know the, the earthquake was January the first July afterwards we we had uh, scheduled a trip during then and wow. I was like wow I lived in Tucson Arizona at the time and I could honestly say I've never experienced anything hotter than Port-au-Prince uh, in July <laughs> but yeah, I remember, you know, the, the electricity going in and out waking up at night because you couldn't sleep it's so hot and the Haitians are up pacing uh-huh. back and forth they can't sleep either it's so hot but I, I tell you what um, that trip forged a relationship for Pastor mm. Franklin and me. And I do really mm. believe that the the individuals in that group uh, and, and the 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 people who hosted us, I think there was something special. And I yes. think you hit it on the head. It was that value of of the relationship. Absolutely. And again, if we're the organization, we have that long-term relationship, we're offering something to the teams that they really can't manufacture, if you want to say, on their own with these one one week a year trips. Yeah, that's a good point. You can't um, you can't manufacture uh, um, a relationship, and you can't manufacture a history and experience. And so, yeah, as agencies, we should be really making that relationship part of it. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's great. Okay, uh, so um, we're gonna get to some like nitty gritty. We've kind of talked in a sense theoretical as agencies. If you really want to make it worthwhile for people to work through you you know, giving people voices, being creative, uh, really, you know, so here's some nitty gritties that I think, uh, kind of keep people from working through the agency is they go, Oh, but you know, it's going to be expensive to work through the agency. You know, it's going to be X number of dollars. And instead we could put it right to the project or right to this. So you have a couple things about that. So as agencies, you have a warning about the cost. So what, what's your warning as to us as agencies? <laughs> well, obviously, we don't want to be very flippant about how we spend that money, right? I always have to remind myself, this is God's money. It's not like earned money. And I always have to keep that in mind. I shared a story about when I was in college, I worked with an organization that organizes trips out of a university in California. And the director of and founder of the organization was very generous to all of the staff. And she would take us to incredibly expensive and fancy restaurants. And from her point of view, it was, I just wanna share my gratitude for all the things that you've done. But we're college students, so we're idealistic. And I remember once we just went on strike and we didn't show up. We just told her, you know, this is God's money. We don't feel comfortable eating a giant prime rib on God's money. Mm-hmm. And so I think really being managing our money in really healthy ways matters. Because if a team is going to pay for it, they kind of want to know where that money is going. If we can say, well, these are really the structures that we have, and they find it's financially worthwhile to pay a little more for those structures worthwhile. And if we can't explain what it's going towards, I think that's going to be a problem for us. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think your, your thoughts there, your warning is, is a good one. Uh, it's, it's actually more than warning. It's like a, a, a commendation too, that, that you can, um, uh, that you can invest in ministries. Not that you can't spend money. 
you can, you can invest in it. And, and when you do it right, you can feel really good about it. And yeah, and, uh, yeah so that's great. So yeah. um, uh, any, any other thoughts about that? Yeah, because um, we have an, in, in the Evangelical Covenant Church, we have a thing called Covenant World Relief. And, you know, I used to be really impressed with organizations that would say, support our children. 99% of the money goes toward the kids and only 1% is overhead or whatever. Well, I learned that that overhead is actually critical. <laughs> yeah. And if you are undervaluing that, those people who are organizing things in appropriate and healthy ways, and you're just kind of throwing money out because you told your constituency 99% of the money is going somewhere, you might be spending 99% of the money and only 1% of the money is being used in a worthwhile purpose. Right. He taught me overhead really matters because the people, the organization on the ground knows what's going on, knows what to do. But we just have to like tell the constituents, this is the reason we're charging this amount so that we can offer you the best opportunity and in a way protect and also support our partners around the world. But we have to be lean and mean would be a way to say it, right? I mean, we have to make sure we always remember God's money. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Uh, And so, but along those lines, I think you have kind of a a good tip for agencies. Uh, when, When you are communicating and thinking about what the cost of going through an agency, there is kind of a way you can highlight how that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're starting a new ministry called um, Merge Connect, and it'll be virtual trips and where a church in the United States will have um, three sessions with a global church and our staff will moderate it. Now, we're going to charge money for these. Well, the people are going to be like, well, why are you charging money for virtual? How much does that really cost? And I'm going to say, well, most of the money is going to the the staff who are all from those countries. Mm -hmm. And we're going to be hiring people from the churches to run the technology. We're going to be hiring people from those countries to run these global connects. And so we think people will be excited about that. I don't mind paying if it's going to be supporting people in doing ministry and supporting people in doing work. I really think as organizations, the more that we can hire people from the countries we're going to, if you're going to, you know, the Dominican Republic, if most of your staff on the trip, your cooks, the people organizing the food, the people interpreting, the people organizing, the people driving, the people overseeing construction, et cetera, if they are all from that country and you are able to pay those people, isn't that really what we want to have happen? Americans are generous, but it's funny. In our own country, we want people to work for the money we give them. But in other countries, we're okay with just giving them a bunch of money. But it's not healthy. It's not sustainable in the long term. If we can, as organizations, be ways that there's employment through what we do and we can employ people. When I tell a person, well, you're gonna have to pay this much to be with our trip, but this is the percentage that's going to employ people in that country. I have never had a team leader say, oh, that's horrible. (laughs) 
almost all of them are like, that is awesome. I mean, we wouldn't be able to do that on our own because we don't know those people. Well, I do. And so I'm able to employ people and take care of, you know, I don't know, 75 to 100 families around the world through teams because we employ them. And I think that's a, a great way to really use money, God's money, in a way that's really holy and sustainable. Uh, you know, I, you know, instead yeah. of having North Americans go down to take care of North Americans in another country, why? Yeah. So I'm just that's just my view. When our teams go to Argentina, the entire staff is Argentinian. I don't need Americans in Argentina. I'm sending an American team down. The Argentinians can take care of them way better than me. And I can employ a whole group of Argentinians because of that team. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Excellent. So another hang up, uh, and this is, I think, uh, the last point, uh, unless we have, unless you have more to bring up and that would be fine. But I think the last point here is uh, not, sometimes it's cost. Sometimes it's like, ugh, all the paperwork you know, maybe as a church, you're already collecting your own applications, your own emergency paperwork and uh, these things. And then you go to the agency and they want. So uh, what advice do you have to agencies about the paperwork issue? This is something, Tori, that you and SOE really challenged me about. Um, instead of asking for a lot of paperwork like applications and references and all of these registration forms you've challenged us to why don't we train the leaders of the teams to know how to choose people and how to do applications well and how to choose a team that's going to be healthy and how to do it isn't it better to train them how to do it than for us to try to do that and i think there's still the same amount of paperwork, you know what I'm saying? I mean, they're still doing a lot of paperwork, but when they're doing it themselves and we train them how to do it, it suddenly doesn't seem, well, it's a lot of work for them, but it seems more valuable because they're part of that process. They're part of what's going on. And you really challenged me to think about how to train team leaders to be great team leaders. Well, part of being a great team leader is doing the paperwork necessary to be safe on your trip. And so if, if we put the onus on them and there's, oh, we just have to send in a couple of things to merge. Oh, that's easy. I yeah. think that might make churches feel like there's less bureaucracy in the things that we're doing, even though in reality, if we teach them, there's still the same amount of bureaucracy. <laughs> reason to have all that stuff yeah yeah exactly that's a good point the those those paper the paperwork and, and the administrative stuff there's a reason to have it it's just we don't need to do it twice <laughs> so right. yeah let's not have the redundancy and and you know um you're it's a good point um i know somebody somebody might be listening to this going well but if i don't do it myself how do i know it's being done well well that's where the training part you're right you've got to You've got to prepare those people to succeed. But, you know, to a certain extent, who better to know if that person is qualified to participate in the trip than their church pastor? Their right. Church pastor. Yeah, you know? I don't know the person. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. So we've talked through some things here, uh, both philosophical in nature and practical. Um, Dale, any other last pieces of advice or words of advice for agencies about how to kind of down streamline that system and really make it a valuable thing 
Yeah, I have to admit, you know, sometimes I get frustrated. I'm a pastor in a denomination and I complain, you know, why don't all the churches in my denomination want to go with us, no. <laughs> you know, and why do they go on their own? And, you know, like in a relationship you have with someone, you can't change another person, but you can change yourself. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, well, what are the things we as mission organizations maybe have to change to make what we do more attractive and easier for them to participate in. And I think it's a good thing to sit around with your leadership team, your board, whatever it is, and talk those things through. Are there things that we're doing that make people not want to participate in what we're doing? I'm not saying changing your values or your philosophy of ministry, but what are things that we could do to make what we do more more attractive, I guess that's the word, um, for churches to not want to go on their own, but to want to go through us knowing that the trip's going to be way more effective and way more learning than if they do it on their own. I mean, there's just too many stories out there, horror stories of churches that have gone on their own. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So um, Dale tells how can, uh, so merge, you said that's kind of a, a short-term mission agency, like who do you serve? Uh, how can they get a hold of you? Do you have to be a covenant church to work with you guys or just give us a little bit of uh, feedback there? Yeah, you don't have to be a, a covenant church. We've done all kinds of groups and schools and organizations that we've done. You know, most of our trips are with evangelical covenant churches because that's where we're at, but we're open to anybody. So people generally just email me at merge at covchurch.org and I communicate with them and we get started at that point is how we do that. So yeah, Yeah. we're open. Awesome. And so what what like when people come to you and say help me what what help are they looking for how do i know that i'm how, uh, what what are my needs that merge can meet well again it goes back to tori you don't know what you don't know yeah. <laughs> so one of my favorite things is we train all of our teams at their churches before they go and our whole training is really about you don't know what you don't know And um, so we go through a lot of values and global church and and uh, cultural intelligence and things to try to give people a little bit of perspective that they maybe never would have thought about before. So because when people originally call and they say we need help, they're really just thinking logistics, you know, logistics. But we want to be way more than just logistics. And uh, so it's an opportunity to teach and to train and for people to learn. And we love that. Awesome. Awesome. So you said the website, uh, what's, what's the website? Well, it's not very good right now. So <laughs> okay. to, we're rebuilding it by the end of November. Um, okay, excellent. And it's under the, um, Cove, let's see, covechurch.org. Okay. And you'd have to look for merge under covchurch.org because it's within a denomination. So cool. Or just Google merge and covenant church. And I bet it'll come up. We're there. And email address you said was what? Yeah. Merge at covchurch, C-O-V as in Victor church.org is how you would get in touch with us. Yeah. Awesome. 
Well, Dale, I want to thank you for spending some time talking with us. Thank you for your ministry and all you're doing. And um, we hope that uh, we pray that God would bless uh, what you're doing and uh, would bless the partners that you work with, uh, both in the sending side and the receiving side. And a plug for SOE. This has been incredible partnering with you guys. And we've learning and are learning. We've learned and learn are learning and going through the accreditation process. Fantastic. So thank you so much. Awesome. Yes. Thank you. Thanks again, Dale. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Making Mission Trips Better podcast from Standards of Excellence in Short-Term Mission, or SOE for short. For more resources on improving your mission trips or to become a member of SOE, please visit us at soe.org. Also, a special thank you to Melissa White for producing this episode.